are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. This is on page 1089 of the black-covered Bibles that are under the chairs in front of you, or on page 46 if you are using your Acts booklet. Please stand as you are able for the reading of God's Word. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for, it didn't, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Before we start into our text today, I'm going to maybe get myself in a bit of trouble. Today is the last Sunday that Julie Foster will be leading us in worship. Uh, she has done such a wonderful job over these last years, and we're so thankful for her and for her ministry. Uh, she and Barry are retiring up north a bit, and they will be back from time to time. Uh, but this is the last Sunday that Julie will be here leading us in worship. And uh, on behalf of all of us, I just want to say thank you, Julie, for how you have blessed us with your ministry. Well, from... Uh, the uh, beautiful to perhaps the curious 
Uh, Elon Musk is a guy who tends to elicit strong opinions one way or the other. Uh, show of hands, any people who are willing to admit, they say, boy, I think he's kind of a, a daring, risk-taking entrepreneur. He does some amazing things. Okay? Any, you guys are chuckling already. Anyone willing to say, I think he's a little unhinged and potentially a dangerous whack job? And another show. And how many agree? Sort of a little of the two. How many of you have no idea who Elon Musk is? Okay. Uh, Elon Musk was a kind of... Uh, um, computer technology whiz kid, uh, helped start the company that became PayPal, which he sold for like a billion and a half dollars to use some of that money uh, to buy SpaceX and then Tesla Motors. And one consistent theme, I think, has been this sense that you get from him that he's animated by this belief that I can do a better job at this, right? Like, we can do a better job with the kinds of cars that we produce. We can do a better job in terms of how we send rockets up into space. We can do a better job with how money is processed and how people exchange money online. And, and recently he bought Twitter, believing that uh, he could do a better job managing a, a social media company. Uh, the jury is definitely out on that one. Uh, he's renamed it X, which uh, this morning I had a revelation. I wonder if it's related to SpaceX, like SpaceX is out there and X is here. I, I don't know if that's it or not, but now we don't tweet, we twix, I guess. I, I don't know. There's something in him, though, that maybe it's not just Elon Musk we can acknowledge. Maybe there's something in all of us that, that believes, you know, if I just had the platform, if I had the money, if I had the freedom, if I had the power, I could do a better job than the people who are doing it currently. I mean, we're all Americans, right? And, and we have a participatory democracy, so we're all just kind of wired to perhaps legitimately believe that we could be doing a better job than the people in Washington. For those of us who uh, have gotten married, started families, there's something in us. If we had a good home life, we say, boy, you know, I had good models. I know how to do this. I'm going to get in there and do a good job. Or maybe if we didn't have such good modeling, we think, man, I'm not going to make the mistakes my parents made. There's just something in us that, that believes, you know, if I just had the power, if I had the resources, I could do a better job. Wouldn't it be great to have the, the, the wealth, the power, the freedom, the, the recognition, you know, to use for good, of course. That can create problems for us when it comes to knowing God and having a relationship with him. And I think that's what's going on in the passage that we see today. Because when it comes to God's power, the question is not, how much of it do I have? The question is, how much of me does he have? The question is not, how much of it do I have, but how much of me does he have? This morning we're in Acts chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 8. If you haven't turned there already, we're on page 46 in our Acts sermon journals. Last week, we started following Philip, one of these seven men who'd been chosen to serve the needy widows among the Christians in Jerusalem. And Philip was also one of those who was scattered out from Jerusalem or sown like seeds in response to persecution. So Philip ends up in Samaria, and he preaches the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, and many believed. But among those, there's one particular person that Luke focuses our attention on, starting in verse 9. 
There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was somebody great. That's an interesting comment itself, right? Like, maybe there's a warning sign. Don't go around telling other people you're great. Everyone paid attention to him, saying he is, uh, in, maybe in some translations, the great power of God, and he amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip and he preached the good news about the kingdom in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. So this man, Simon, is practicing magic in some form, and Luke doesn't elaborate. Now, we know from the Bible there is an unseen spiritual realm. There are dark spiritual forces and powers, and maybe he does these magic acts through occultic powers, or maybe he's just a magician, an illusionist like anyone we'd see today, like a a David Copperfield or, or whoever's current. There's a spiritual realm, there are spiritual forces and powers, but there's also a lot of illusion and trickery, and, and we don't know which is which, really. But he was recognized, and he was important in the community, so much so that he amazed the people. And everyone was paying attention to him and saying he is the great power of God. Not just that he has the power of God, but he is the power of God. Now that'll go to your head. So hold on to that thought. But the people believe Philip and and those who had previously been astonished by Simon and whatever kind of work he had been doing, they now believe Philip when he preaches about the kingdom of God and Christ and people can see that confirmed by the miracles that Philip is performing. And then in verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing great signs and miracles performed, he was amazed. It's a contrast there. Previously, the people have been amazed with Simon the magician. Now they're amazed with Philip and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he becomes a follower of Philip. And there's nothing in the text so far that suggests that Simon's belief was false or insincere. But like everyone else's faith, like our faith, it's going to be tested by our response to events that happen in our lives. So what happens? Going on in verse 14. The apostles in Jerusalem hear that Samaria had believed, and so Peter and John come down and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So notice a couple of things here. First of all, God is expanding his kingdom now, not just through the apostles, but through the people who have believed because of the apostles' work. Philip is not an apostle. The apostles in Jerusalem have been the center of the action, but now God is spreading his people out, and wherever he's planting them, he's working through them to bring people to know Jesus. And now, as the gospel expands to a new place, a group beyond Jerusalem, and a group beyond the apostles, in fact, to people who are ethnically different and religiously different. They come to faith, but there isn't an immediate indwelling of the Holy Spirit for some reason. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Now, this is stretching the church. The the church is growing beyond the borders of Judea and outside the Jewish people, but they can acknowledge that 
these people have received Jesus. And the apostles say, this is awesome. Let's, let's go pray for them and pray that they will receive the Spirit. Now, in verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So it's some kind of a gathering of the believers. And we could imagine maybe not too different from what we do. It's a different time and place and culture, but it would be like having a prayer team or a group of elders gather together with someone and lay hands on them to pray for God's blessing and healing and empowerment for them. And we don't know what happened, but something happened that made it obvious that they had been filled with the Spirit. Maybe it was some particular gifts manifested. Maybe, maybe it was an outpouring of worship and praise and joy at being saved. We don't know. But something has happened, and Simon says, this is amazing, and I want some of what Peter and John are doing. That's power. I want that. And I'm, I'm willing to give to, to get it. I, I'm not trying to steal it. So Simon offers them money because he thinks that the Holy Spirit is merely a power that could be managed and bought and sold. He thought the Holy Spirit was a power that he could use as he wanted instead of a person to rule over his life. This is huge. This is a foundational principle, not just for this book of Acts, but for understanding what it means to know and follow Jesus and relate to God through him. Because as soon as I start thinking of the Holy Spirit as a power or a force, that means there's a way that I can get it, that I can manage it, that I can control it, that I can have it, that I can be in charge of it. But when I keep in mind what Luke is underscoring here, that the Holy Spirit is a person, that leads me to say, Holy Spirit, you are in charge. You do what you want to do. The issue when it comes to God's power is not how much of it do I have, but how much of me does he have. That's a totally different mentality. Now remember, Simon has this frame of reference from the worldview that he's bringing into following Jesus. He's used to having and using power. You get power, you use power. And so he looks at Peter and John and he says, they have power, they have more power than I have, so I want whatever they have. How much will that cost me? What do I have to do to get it? And just an interesting little side note here, if you fast forward 200 years or so, 250 years, Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And because of that, all of a sudden now, instead of being persecuted, there's lots of money and recognition and position that comes with having church offices. And over time, that practice became corrupted so that people would give money to buy a church office that would actually produce income for them. There's even a word for that that is carried over into English. Anyone know what that is? Simony. And it comes from this passage. This man who 
thought he could buy God's favor and the ability to dispense God's blessing. And it became so big a problem, fast forwarding another thousand years or so, that during the Reformation it became one of the causes for this whole explosion of renewal in the church. Now, I don't know anybody who's buying and selling church offices nowadays, but there is a mentality that's something like simony that is a problem. Simon himself apparently had this all mixed up in his head, right? The, the, the world that he's come out of and this new world and God's kingdom that he's entered into. And therefore he asks in verse 19, give me this power, thinking that the spirit is just a force, you know, like the force in Star Wars or a thing that you could have or manage or control. So that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, notice it, his motives, at least on the service, are not bad. He's, he's not asking for power in order to, you know, enrich myself or, or in order to, you know, do evil things or crush my enemies. He didn't come to Peter and John and say, I need the Spirit to transform my life. That's the problem. Instead, he said, I want the power to be able to bestow it on other people, right? Like, I, I want to be the guy with the electricity that shoots out of his fingers. Uh, I, I, how do I get that? How do I get to be the person to make things happen for other people spiritually? I want to control and possess and dispense the power of God on my terms. Remember, the question when it comes to God's power is not how much of it do I have, but how much of me does he have? Look at Peter's response in verse 20. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord that, if possible, this intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Wow. That is quite a response, isn't it? This is such a seriously mistaken request. Something so important is going on inside Simon that it leads him to condemn this request so that everyone around him can hear it and to condemn it in such a way that everyone says, this is not a small thing. This is not an innocent request. And he says in the strongest possible terms in verse 20, less politely, but you could almost translate it literally, to heck with you and your silver. He's almost cursing him. What's going on here? Well, first of all, Simon thinks that God's gift and blessing can be purchased. And it's a reminder to us how grateful we are to, be, to know that the gifts of God are freely received by faith. There is no entrance fee into the kingdom of God. Because if there was, you and I could never pay it. We would never be able to afford it. To have life with God is a free, undeserved gift of God's goodness that we receive by faith in Christ. It is never for sale. And there's never more of it that you can get by giving more or doing more or doing better. 
And that's good news for you and for me. I think that's why Peter's answer is so sharp, because there's something really serious and dangerous in the suggestion that we could get more of God somehow by something that we could do or offer or produce. If if you've been paying attention in the book of Acts, this should sound familiar to, back to Ananias and Sapphira, remember? Where they also mix up the money and recognition and blessing. And Simon seems to think, here's a technique that's worth purchasing, a way of gaining sort of a share in the leadership of this movement. And it's this idea of making a relationship with God transactional that is so offensive to Peter and such an abomination to Jesus. And for Luke, again, he's highlighting how the use of money and possessions often is showing on what's going on in our hearts and what we really love. Because the question is not how much of it do I have, but how much of me does God have? Because the more of me that the Spirit has, the the less I will need stuff and the less tempted I become to define God's blessing by wealth and possessions and recognition and power. Now those things can be blessings. But man, I've been challenged this week to actually even in some online interaction, discussion and Engagement with people, why do we always tend to say, you know, well, I got a a new job or a promotion or this new car. Boy, I'm blessed. Well, those are blessings, but is there something maybe a little off in there if we're always defining blessing by possession and wealth and recognition and power and control? The more of me the Spirit has, the less I'm going to be tempted to need stuff and the less I'm tempted to define God's blessing, God's presence by money and possessions and recognition. Look at how else he describes Simon's request in the end of verse 22. I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And uh, in some of your versions, it may also mention envy. There's an element of envy here in what's going on in Simon's heart. Did you notice, Simon did not ask to be like Philip. He's kind of like, Philip just got forgotten by Simon, right? Remember the childhood game of leapfrog? He's like, he's leapfrogged over Philip to get to the position he really wants. Philip is a faithful, humble servant of God who goes wherever God sends him, witnesses to Jesus. And Simon had been amazed by his signs and wonders, but now somebody with bigger signs and more impressive wonders has shown up. And and he forgets all about Philip, and now he wants to attach himself to Peter and John. Because that's been his life, hasn't it? Right? I mean, that's what we know about Simon. He's been notable, he's famous, he's amazed people, he's impressed them, he's been called the the great power of God. But now someone greater and more impressive than Simon has showed up and the crowds are going after Philip and paying attention to Philip. But I'm Simon, I'm I'm the, the power of God that's known as great. 
So he attaches himself, do you notice, to Philip and starts following Philip around, amazed at his signs and wonders. Simon never asks, what should I do to be great in the kingdom of God? I think we can probably, we're meant to interpret this as he just assumes that, of course, he's going to be great in the kingdom of God because that's been his whole life. My whole life has been being at the center and being impressive and being powerful and wealthy and calling the shots and having a crowd. So, of course, Jesus is going to elevate me. Of course, he's going to give me a platform. Of course, he's going to let me do impressive, amazing things because I'm an impressive, amazing person. I think that's why Peter mentions this gall of bitterness, the bond of iniquity and and envy. Simon, I think, wants to be important. It's a danger for some of us who are somebodies, who are recognized, who have wealth, who, who have platforms, who have power. Remember what the Apostle Paul writes to the believers in Corinth in his first letter, consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise by worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no one can boast in God's presence. Because Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. The greatest in the kingdom will be a servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted by God. The more the Spirit has of me, the the more humble I become, the less I need to be recognized and have a platform and And maybe that just comes naturally for some of the more introverted among us. But introverted does not automatically mean humble, right? Those of us who are more quiet and live inside our own heads with our own thoughts know that that's not always a great place to live. And it's not like that's necessarily a well of good, beautiful, noble, lovely, pure thoughts. Quiet, shy people can be just as proud and self-righteous as anyone. The point is that following Jesus does not automatically rewrite Simon's or our old ways of thinking and ways of seeing the world and seeing ourselves. What are the unfiltered, maybe cultural beliefs or expectations that I bring to following Jesus? Because it's possible to give my heart to Jesus and recognize the rest of my life still has to catch up. And that's the work of a lifetime until we see him face to face. My priorities, my patterns, my practices all have to be submitted to and transformed by Jesus. I don't just carry them into the kingdom and ask Jesus to baptize everything that I have and that I love because he loves me and therefore he must love the things that I love. No, when it comes to the power of God, the question is not how much of it do I have, but how much of me does he have? And then Simon is asking for this ability to bestow God's presence and power on people at his direction. That's really the heart of it, isn't it? He wants the authority to decide who gets God, who gets God's power and present, and who doesn't. 
That's amazing. I mean, this, this statement about Simon in verse 10 is almost like our jaws should drop to the floor. Like there's actually a human being walking around on the earth letting people call him the great power of God. Simon is asking, in a sense, to be in the place of God, or at least to be in the place of the apostles. And as we go through Acts, Luke is going to show us over and over again that the Spirit does not respond to external stimuli. You know, he's not like Pavlov's dog. You don't just ring a bell and get the Spirit to do what you want. It is God, not magicians, not even apostles, who gives the Spirit. The Spirit comes and goes and blows where he will. The Spirit comes sometimes when the apostles are present and sometimes when they are not. Sometimes with the laying on of hands, sometimes without. Sometimes closely associated to baptism, sometimes not. That's, that's the whole point, isn't it? The, the point is that the gifts are in God's control. God is sovereign over the whole matter of where he moves and when he moves and in whom he moves and how he moves. And we can believe in Jesus in our hearts and still have the wrong intent because I can have Jesus in my heart and still have envy and pride in my bones. And it's the process of taking that to Jesus and acknowledging it and repenting of it. Because I still, there's still this part of me that thinks I know what God ought to be doing. I know what he ought to be doing in the world. I know what he ought to be doing in those people's lives. I know how he ought to be straightening those people out. And if only he would give me the ability, you know, to fix all those people. I can make everything so much better. And that's Simon. And that brings it a lot closer home to us, to me question when it comes to God's power is not how much of it do I have, but how much of me does he have? Am I okay with whatever power, influence, wealth God allows in my life? I mean, there's a sense, of course, in which it's right to say, wouldn't it be great if God would expand his kingdom, if God would reach people through me because I had this power? But Simon's story is reminding us that power is powerful, but dangerous, right? Everything in Simon's life has been about power and control and wealth and recognition and platform. And now the guy who's been amazing people is amazed at someone who's really worthy of amazement. And either he misunderstands what that power really is, who that power really is, or he's trying to mix it in with where he is already. And one of the last things is uh, just to acknowledge that Peter's rebuke of Simon doesn't really answer a question that a lot of us have and commentators wrestle with when we come to this text. Is Simon really a believer? Did he really truly believe? Simon prays in verse 24, or says, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Was he genuinely born again by God's Spirit or not? We don't know. We don't know. And maybe that's Luke's intent. Because maybe it's even an implicit reminder that it's not our job to decide or try and judge or define who's in God's kingdom, who's really following Jesus. We're not supposed to read the story and try and figure out what Simon did with it, but figure out what we're going to do with it. 
Pray to the Lord for me that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. (laughs) Peter can't humble Simon's heart for him. Peter can't repent for Simon. He can't believe for Simon. Simon has to humble his own heart. Simon has to pray for himself. Simon has to repent. It's obvious that Simon is in a bad place, but it's also a reminder that nobody is beyond God's grace. None of us is beyond the reach of God's grace, and none of us is beyond the need of God's grace. There's nobody here who's gone too far. If a, if a person dabbling perhaps in occultic arts and daring to call himself the great power of God could be saved, could, could at least have this question hanging over him that it's likely whether he was saved at that moment or not, but he still could be. If, if it's possible for Simon, it's possible for anyone. It's possible for you, for me. And that's what God wants for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. God wants you to repent, to believe, to come to Jesus, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. To believe that you need forgiving and Jesus is the one who has come to forgive you and it's a gift you receive by faith. Nothing that you can buy, nothing that you can earn, nothing that you can contribute to it except your sin and your willingness to be forgiven. I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word, that's what he wants for you. What he wants for you is not necessarily power or wealth or platform or recognition, which is the stuff we often want for ourselves. And I think whether it's Elon Musk or Simon or you or me or any of us, that the point is not necessarily that Power, position, or wealth are inherently bad. It's just that they're powerful and they're dangerous, like fire, right? And and we should be cautious and careful about pursuing those things or believing that if we have them, that that somehow I'm closer to God or God's going to be able to use me more or God's going to be more pleased with me or I can make a bigger impact if I have more. We walk in faith. God knows and God is in control and the Spirit is the one who comes and blows and moves and renews and gives new birth where he will and to whom he will and when he will. And we're the channels. We're called to be faithful. We're not called to try to find some way to manipulate God, to get more of God, to be in control. We're just called to go and to be faithful and to pray that God will continue to lead and guide us as he does. And ask not so much that I can have more of it, but that he, he would have more of me. Because that is power. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the life that you bring to us through your spirit in knowing your son. We're thankful for Jesus, for the, for the depth of your love, the breadth of your love, that there is no one here who is beyond your forgiveness, your grace, your rescue, your power. No one can believe, repent, call to Jesus for us. But no one else can hear either. You are the one who hears, Lord. You are the one who saves. So will you move in hearts right now? We pray, not that we would have and control your spirit, but that spirit, you would be pleased to move.
to renew, to strengthen, to confirm, to encourage, to bring life. Thank you. Thank you for the hope and the life that we have in you, God, through your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Spirit. We pray in your name, triune God. Amen.